You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy. We are week seven of nine of our Family Feud series. And in this series, we've seen some, some family dysfunction. And that's, that's kind of how the story start, starts. The star, story starts, easy for me to say. Almost as easy, say, insert-like. But uh, we see patterns of dysfunction. We see generational sin played out. And, and, and if generational sin goes unchecked, if God doesn't, doesn't come in, if, 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 if we don't respond to God's call on our life, that dysfunction grows. It doesn't get less chaotic. It gets more chaotic, right? Um, and so maybe you've seen some of your family in some of these stories. Maybe you've seen some of the strife that you've experienced growing up, uh, maybe, maybe even some of the strife that you've caused, I don't know. And you, and you're wondering, man, can God do something with my story? But this is a story of redemption. It's not just, God doesn't just highlight problems and go, well, good luck boys and girls. <laughs> this is a story of redemption. Last week, uh, Joseph was in Egypt. He has uh, one of his brothers in jail, in prison. And uh, the rest of the family is down in the land of Canaan. And there's a famine raging on. Uh, Joseph will say that you won't be able to plant for five more years. Not even plant. Can you imagine it being so bleak that walking out there just just a plant seed just seems unfathomable. That is severe. And, uh, and so they need more grain. And, and Israel finally relents and lets Benjamin go with Judah. Because Judah promises dad that I'll protect your favorite son with my life. Right? Joseph's cup of divination is placed in Benjamin's bag. There's a, there's a chase. That should remind you of another story. And the statement's made, whoever stole the cup will become my slave. <laughs> okay. It's going to be as long as it's going to be. So, uh, <laughs> they're passing me messages. This is fun. <laughs> This is fun. Timer isn't working for some reason. Use your watch. And do math while you're at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Judah makes this great statement at the end of Genesis 44. And I want to start here. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad a slave to my Lord. 
and let the lad go up to his brothers, for how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me? For I, for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father. This great redemptive statement where Judah steps in for his brother. The last will be first. The first will be last. He, he trades places, right? Now we got to remember that it was also Judah that said to his brothers, let us sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites. Like he started this, let's make our brother a slave narrative for this family. He started this, let's make my brother a slave business for this family. I wonder what Judah felt in this moment, even as he's making this statement to this man that he doesn't recognize. Like, what was he thinking? Did he suspect that God was finally judging him for something that happened 20 years ago and something that he's hidden from his father for those 20 years. Like, don't forget that piece. Like, there's 10 brothers that have held a secret that's significant. My dad held a secret from my mom for 20 years and he became an alcoholic. Like, that's how he coped. Secrets are powerful and dangerous all by themselves. So that's where the story ended last week. And let's jump into this week's story. Then Joseph could not conceal himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, have everyone go out for me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? He, Joseph, after 20, it's 22, 23 years, after 22 years, still doesn't know if his dad's alive. But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. (laughs) This is when you want to wear your brown pants like Dave. (laughs) I don't know what Dave was expecting today, but he's he's got his brown pants on. He's ready. Joseph, this is, you're before the man that you put into slavery 22 years before this moment. Whew. I'd be dismayed. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to go well. And they came closer. And he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold in Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. What a great perspective, right? For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Man, 
God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Maybe a gross, maybe, maybe a little overstatement here. He's made me father to Pharaoh. It's not something you probably say in front of Pharaoh. <laughs> it's probably something that once you say, you hope Pharaoh doesn't hear that too. He heard the crying, right? <laughs> Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son, Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You and your children, your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have there. I will also provide for you there for there are still five years of famine to come and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Now, again, Joseph has this plan right on the spot. Like he is brilliant. He hasn't had time to think about this. He already knows what part of the land is going to be reserved for his family. He knows how to make this happen. This guy would be great in the military, wouldn't he, Tony? Like this guy solves problems. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now, that is a weird statement, isn't it? Like, uh, don't we use our ears to determine if someone's mouth is saying something to us? You didn't recognize them before. A little odd. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you've seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. We've seen two brothers reunited do this before. And he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Now, remember that, that week that we presented the story where Joseph is sold into slavery. The, the brothers could not speak shalom. They could not speak peace. They couldn't hope good things for him. Apparently uh, they were taught, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. They lived that out. Their mother taught them well. But they're able to speak to him again. Pretty cool. As the story continues, Pharaoh was super excited to hear that Joseph had family. And twice he commands that they bring their whole family back to Egypt. Very clear in the text. Uh, I don't know if Pharaoh is just like, uh, you said it once, I'm going to say it twice, Joseph, kind of thing. Or I don't know if the boys needed to hear from Pharaoh that you will be safe here too. Because you got to remember up to this point, Joseph hasn't been exactly kind to the brothers for, for a year or more. Not exactly kind. So we should pay attention to that. And so the boys, they, they go back and, and they're provided. Joseph provides uh, the 10 brothers, uh, one change of clothes each. But Benjamin, 
he sends with 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. Who's the favorite? Jacob is sent 10 donkeys for the journey back and 10 donkeys with Egypt's finest gifts. Uh, and apparently they're not going to unpack that. They're just going <laughs> to send their gifts and then bring them back. I don't know. Uh, supplies for the trip. And the 10 brothers are told to not argue on their way, which is uh, uh, just as a side note, that, that word for argue, like that's the only place it's used for arguing. It's also uh, the first mention, first use of that word. So I wonder, I mean, even the Hebrew scholars translate as argue, but it's something, something's going on there. Don't quite know what to do with that. Have to wrestle with that a little bit more, but here's how the text finishes. Uh, they, the boys show up, they see their dad and they say this, Joseph is still alive. I remember they've been lying to their dad for 22 years. So there's a part of this conversation that we don't get to see. And indeed, he's ruler over all of the land of Egypt. But he was stunned for he did not believe them. When they told him all the words Joseph had that had spoken to them. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father, Jacob revived. Pite literally says it lived. His spirit was dead. And now his spirit is alive. Then Israel said, a revived Jacob is in Israel again. Israel said, it is enough. My son, Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And that's our story. That's our story. And what I want you to pay attention to is that this story teaches us what reconciliation looks like. This story is about reconciliation. And I don't mean just this particular set of verses here in Genesis 45, but from 38 to 45, this is a story of reconciliation. It starts with Judah and his brothers. No. One more slide. There we go. Nope. Judah and his brothers with Joseph. It starts with the harmful act. It starts with the problem. It starts with the harm caused. That's where, if there's, if we need reconciliation, something, something happened. But the text next goes on and tells us about Judah and Tamar. And Judah's redemptive act towards Tamar. Remember that story, like Judah is estranged from family. For some reason, he, he left the family and, and couldn't face them anymore. Maybe he couldn't face his dad on a day-to-day -day basis. Maybe he couldn't handle the fact that he was, that he was the one that said, let's sell my brother off. Like that's a, that's a big deal. we got some parents in the room. Maybe would you, like, how would you handle that? Hearing about that conversation that you were the one that sent the brother away for 20 years. But the end of that tomorrow story, Judah 
reconnects with his spiritual heritage and makes a redemptive choice. And then you got Joseph with Potiphar's wife. Now, you may ask the question, why does that matter? Why does it matter that Joseph makes a redemptive choice and and we see him growing and we see him learning and we see him handling himself a little differently in that story? He's the one that got sold into slavery. Like, what has he got to learn in this? Well, our stories aren't so black and white, are they? There's some shades of gray. I, if you get hit in a car accident, odds are the insurance company's going to come back with a 80-20, 90-10. Like, usually each driver owns some level of responsibility for the accident taking place, right? In conflict, there's this idea that there takes two to tango. In my case, it would take three because I can't tango. <laughs> I would need a substitute. But, but in any conflict, we own a piece. We own a piece. I did not ask to divorce my wife. I did understand why my wife wanted to divorce me, my first wife. I totally understood why she'd want to divorce me. And when I went through that divorce, I set my heart on changing those things about me. Was it right for her to divorce me? I don't think so. I don't think that was God's design. I didn't have control over that. Joseph had control over what he had control over, which is the way he responded, the way he acted towards people. And then you had the Judah with Tamar. That's another redemptive choice. And finally, because Joseph sees that redemptive choice out of Judah and sees that, wait a minute, maybe God's been doing something in my family since I've been gone. Maybe I can trust him. Do we see his redemptive choice? Because he, this story could have gone a lot of different ways. Could have gone a lot of different ways, right? There are some that confuse confession with reconciliation. Within culture, uh, our politicians, they have an affair. They make a confession. They think everything should be reconciled. Uh, within sports, we've got the uh, Deshaun Watson story. Uh, interesting, uh, my wife saw this this morning. Um, Josh Gordon, who uh, I don't know how much weed he had or how much weed he smoked or whatever he did, but 76-game suspension. Uh, Vontez, perfect. 12-game suspension for targeting. Calvin Ridley, uh, he's suspended indefinitely for betting on his team to win. Don't we all bet on our team to win? <laughs> uh, yeah, suspended indefinitely. Deshaun Watson, 24 sexual misconduct lawsuits, and he gets 11-game suspension. 
he apologized. He said, I'm sorry for being caught. In effect. And, and, and some people think that that's what constitutes reconciliation. Even in the church. I got called a number of years ago. I was in, in Moscow as a pastor and a friend on staff. She called me. She says, hey, will you help me move this lady and her two children out? Her husband's been physically, emotionally, um, verbally abusing his wife. She goes, we know that he's away from the house right now. We only have a couple hours. Will you help me? And so, so I went and helped. This gal wanted to reconcile with her husband, but she couldn't. Her church told her, he apologized. You need to bring him back in. I'm sorry, but, and I don't want to trigger anybody in the room, but when a man holds a gun up against your head and threatens you, you probably need more than words to trust that person again. You probably need more than words to be able to sleep next to that person again. Uh, if you're reconciling your checkbook and you find an error, again, amen, and you find an error in your checkbook and, and you, you notice this, you finally reconciled your checkbook because the bank called and you got a late fee or you got a, not a late fee, you got an overdraft charge, right? Because it's been years, Logan, uh, it's been a while since you've reconciled <laughs> Your, your checkbook. <laughs> and you find the error. Now, I don't think there's that many. <laughs> yeah. you, you, find, you find the error. And you call the bank back up. And you go, I am so sorry. I found my error. They'll be like, <laughs> good for you. I'm excited. You can't just apologize for that error. You, you have to grab your pencil. You have, to, you, have to, you have to fix the mistake. You have to pay restitution. You have to pay the fee. Or you have to t- sweet talk that person on the other end of the line. I could see Logan doing that. I could see him doing that. Confession and repentance is part of the redemptive choices that we've actually seen in this story so far. But the text didn't focus in on the confession part, did it? It focused in on the repentance, on the changed life part. It focused in on the the way they lived differently. Implied is that there was confession. Implied confession is just agreeing with God, whether you say it out loud or you say it in your heart or your head or whatever. The confession part of these stories is just implied. Like, yeah, of course they started to agree with God that they're being numbskulls, that, that they needed to grow up, that they need to deal with their own junk, that they need to make better choices, that, that they're tearing their own family apart by their actions. The confession part was just implied in these stories. 
you know that they confessed because they lived differently. Confession step one, and it's incomplete unless it's accompanied by repentance. Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Doesn't even call for confession. Not to enter into the kingdom. Confession's part of that. Confession's part of the repentance. But repentance, changing your actions, that's what we're called to. And this series shows us what rec- that reconciliation has, has three parts. We can't, we can't look at reconciliation from a simplistic way. That, that church in Moscow, they lost so many families because they just couldn't handle uh, abuse within, within their church by husbands, by fathers, both physical abuse and sexual abuse by husbands, by fathers, by parishioners. They couldn't handle that in a redemptive way. We had people come, coming to us In droves. That's not how we wanted to see real life church grow. We never wanted to see people leave one church to come to our church. We always wanted to see people come to Christ and come to our church. That's the kind of growth we're after. But if you have to provide a safe place, you have to provide a safe place. And I don't typically stand up here and call out other churches on, on how they do things. But their approach to reconciliation was inadequate. When someone harms you in complex ways, you can't have a simplistic response. When there's been a thousand cuts, you can't have one Band-Aid. It's incomplete. And sometimes we don't look at reconciliation in complex ways, not the ways defined here in this, in this story. So there's three choices, three parts. There's redemptive choices, there's restitution, and there's time. And so the implication is this. Reconciliation requires a balance of redemptive choices, restitution, and time. Reconciliation requires a balance. And, and depending on the situation, right, How big was the offense? How long did the offense last for? Well, define how much redemptive acts, restitution, and time is needed. I'll I'll, I'll say this. We too often expect people to reconcile when there's been no redemptive choices made. They're not doing anything different. They spoke some words and and no restitution paid. And so the timepiece, we're like, hey, and when do I need to reconcile? Right now. That's that's head in the sand. That's that's not addressing what's real. That's not identifying, understanding the actual harm caused. And that is destructive. That is destructive. 
See, Judah and Joseph both had to choose redemption. If Joseph doesn't choose redemption in this moment, there is no reconciliation. If Judah doesn't choose redemptively here, even though Judah had, there's no redemption. There's no reconciliation. Restitution is undoing what was done with that, with that, uh, your bank account, right? <laughs> you got to pay restitution to the bank. They expect that. If not, they charge you more. <laughs> They're pretty good at that. Judah, by offering himself up to be a slave, was undoing what he had done 22 years prior to this moment when he offered up his brother as a slave. That's restitution. That's restitution. Uh, a number of years ago, um, well, me growing up as a kid, my parents, and, and maybe you heard this as, as kids, maybe you've said this as parents, but uh, my parents said, if you don't like the rules here, there's the door. If you don't like the rules here, there's the door. I probably heard that a half a dozen times. My kids, I don't know how many times my kids heard it from me. I use that phrase as a bludgeon. I used to be so proud of, of, of me saying that to, to my boys when they were four and five. I came home one day. And, uh, oh no, Christy and I are in bed. We had just gotten in bed and Christy said, yeah, the boys told me the day that, that uh, th they don't want to follow my rules anymore. And I was instantly hot. Jumped out of bed, grabbed the boys, took them to the back door, opened it up, it's freezing cold outside. I said, boys, I hear you don't want to follow our rules anymore. It's cold out there. You want to see how cold it is? Those little hearts were so damaged by that moment. They didn't need that. Three years ago, uh, my youngest and I are, are, are having this heated exchange. She's she says some things, I say some things, she says some things, I say some things. And finally, I'm like, why are you even living here? And she says, are you kicking me out again? Again? Again, Dad? And she said, I'm done with you. She starts packing. I go upstairs. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And my wife is just brokenhearted for her children. She says, why do you always run to that statement? I didn't know how much that statement hurt me as a little kid. You don't like it around here? We'll just sell you into slavery. Slavery. 
You could figure all this out on your own. God doesn't do that to me. I was talking to a friend a couple days later, counselor. I said, I don't know what to do. She said, Rob, you stole safety from your wife and your children with that statement. She goes, the Bible calls us to pay restitution. She goes, how are you going to make them feel safe again? I think this is a Holy Spirit moment because it sucked. I said, I'll move out of the house. I'll be the one that goes until they tell me I could come back. Humbling moment. Got to stay with, with Logan. We didn't do anything with bank accounts. <laughs> no reconciling with bank accounts. As I drove away from my home, I was the homeless one. I did not know when I would get to return. And I felt how awful that felt to be kicked out of a home, to be separated from your family. And I said to myself, I do not ever want my kids to ever, ever, ever go through this. I will not use those words again. That the act of paying restitution helps us identify with those we've harmed. Those in recovery know that this is part of the process of recovery. So we need redemptive acts. We need restitution. We also need time. The story shows us that these boys needed time. Why 22 years? I don't know. I don't know. But they needed time. And restitution redemptive acts. They need to be lived out over time when we've done someone irreparable harm. Reconciliation requires a balance of redemptive choices, restitution, and time. Now, there's a couple things in this story that I just, I'm like, well, that's weird. Why is that there? Why is that being said like that? Why, why is he telling his brothers, come closer to me? Why do we need to know that he kissed his brothers, each one? Like, what, is that really necessary for the story? And then this, then this weird phrase of, behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother, Benjamin, see that this, that it is my mouth that's speaking to you. What? I, why? Because they're closer? <laughs> like, wouldn't it be better to hear your voice, to hear you speak Hebrew? Like, that might, that might help. Like, it's a wrong sense, right? I think the author wants us to connect to another story, an earlier story. Because Isaac says this, see the smell of my son. <laughs> what? No, you don't see the smell of your son unless... I, well, there's been some people that have been pretty ripe and you could see them coming, right? <laughs> see, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field, which the Lord has blessed. This is the blessing story. And listen to this blessing. Tell me if this is not being lived out right here, right now in Genesis 45. Now, may the God give you the dew of the heaven and the fatness of the earth 
and abundance of grain and new wine. When there's a famine, guess what? Won't touch you. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Oh, you mean like the Egyptians? Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. This moment of reconciliation is when this blessing from Isaac finally gets lived out. This blessing finally gets lived out because of the reconciliation. This is when the blessing gets fulfilled. Reconciliation is part of that blessing. And that's true for you and I as well. Reconciliation is our spiritual legacy. We've been reconciled to God and we're reconciling with each other. That's the call, right? Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Reconciliation is our spiritual legacy. It's the legacy that we received and it's a legacy that we hand off. And we know what that looks like because we can read Genesis. We know what reconciliation looks like. And, and it doesn't just look like someone saying, hey, sorry. It doesn't end with confession. That's a great starting point. but we need to see it lived out. We need, we need to see people live redemptive lives. We need to see people make restitution. And we need to see this over time. The good news is God will meet us there. God is a God of reconciliation and he leads us on that path of reconciliation it starts with a simple thing. Like when I prayed this prayer at six years old, I didn't even know what I was praying. <laughs> I knew I needed, I knew I needed God. When I came back to Christ in my twenties, it started with a prayer. That's all I knew. God, I want to change my life. I don't know how to change this. I don't know how to fix what's going on here. Today as a parent, I don't know how to fix some things I see within my kids. It starts with a prayer. That's the cool thing. Reconciliation is what God is about. Bringing families back together, restoring things, erasing debt. Like that's our, that's our God. That's what he's about. So there's no debt that's too big. There's no problem that's too great. There's no problem that's gone on for too long that God can't overcome if you'll just start with that simple prayer and say, I need you to lead me on a path of redemption. 
want you to think about your relationships and who you want to be reconciled to. Whether, whether your reason that you need reconciliation or the other reason that reconciliation is needed. Think about that relationship. Maybe you need to be reconciled to God and, and, just, and it starts with confession and a prayer of repentance and realization that living your life without God is not working. Think about those relationships that you long to see God reconcile, put back together, made right again. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come say hello. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church/give. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in.